Sup Freaks, it's your boy Marty here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. I had the immense pleasure of sitting down with Greg Foss, longtime credit trader who has a very interesting valuation framework for for Bitcoin and how to to attempt to measure and calculate its fair value currently and whether or not it's uh, it's priced correctly at the current moment. So you guys are going to like this one. Really interesting. Love this particular framework for, for valuing Bitcoin and the thesis behind it. So you guys are going to get ready to learn. Talk about some surfing as well. Always love talking surfing. Surf talk's great talk. It is absolutely ripping right now out in the Pacific. Hawaii, Jaws, Pipe, Pumping. Hope you're seeing these videos from Mavericks and Jaws of these of these monster waves and, and the monsters riding them. It's a good year for surfing, 2021. Silver lining during these uh, weird times. This episode is brought to you by good friends of the motherfucking Cash App. Cash App's helping you stack sats, send sats, receive sats, and sell sats if you so please. We're saying sats, 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 sats. Because we're not stacking fractions of Bitcoin. We're not buying fractions of Bitcoin. We're stacking whole sats. What are sats, you freaks are asking? Some of you may be new here. You hear, like, I'm supposed to be buying Bitcoin. Why am I buying sats? Well, one Bitcoin is made up of 100 million satoshis, or sats. Most pe- a lot of people don't know that. You can break a, a Bitcoin down into 100 million units, or sats, as we like to call them. We stack sats. And Cash App lets you stack sats. You can DCA in the sats. Set it and forget it by daily, weekly, bi-weekly. They have a new boost that allows you to get sats back when you use your cash card anywhere Visa is accepted and your boost is initiated. You, you go to the store, you buy groceries, you get sats back. Feels good. On top of that, Cash App could be your bank account. They're offering account numbers and routing numbers so you can get your paychecks direct deposited into the app. Stack slivers to stonks if you want to. Again, I mentioned the, the cash card. Go check everything out. And when you do download the cash app, make sure you use the code StackingSats. That's S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. You're going to get $10. And $10 is going to go to Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. <laughs> owls Lacrosse. This episode is also brought to you by your good friends at Adams. We got a shoe sponsor. Feels good. Adams, A-T-O-M-S. Adams is the shoe for the individual with the low time preference mindset, okay? These shoes look good. They feel good. You can wash them. They have microbial copper going through them so that they don't get smelly. Bonus. They have quarter sizes. You're not going to get a 10, a 10 and a half, or an 11. You can get a 10, 10 and a quarter, 10 and a half, 10 and three quarters, 11 above below that you do it all except bitcoin using open node to accept on-chain and lightning payments excuse me about this these <laughs> excuse me where was i adams the shoe again it's comfortable it forms to your foot Low time preference of mine. They have these elastic shoelaces that you tie once and you can just slip them on and off. They look good. Did I mention that? The quarter sizes. 
You can wash them. Go check all this out. You might contribute to the circular uh, economy in Bitcoin. Pay via Lightning. Go to adams.com slash TFTC. That's A-T-O-M-S dot C-O-M slash TFTC. When you use that link and you buy a pair of shoes, you're going to get a free pair of socks. Their socks are extra dope, too. They're very comfy. They look good. They make you feel good. Adams. The shoe for the low time preference individual. I hope you freaks enjoy this episode. I know I certainly did. Dickie! You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Greg, you're correct. The The Pacific Ocean is much angrier than the Atlantic Ocean. It's a, it's a harsh lesson you, you learn pretty quickly. So uh, I will say that I've been washed up on uh, quite a few Hawaiian beaches with uh, no no success, but a lot of uh, a lot of desire to, to make it out into those lineups. So you're right. Um, I stick to the Atlantic these days, Marty. I do as well. I, yeah, I've, uh, I've been spotted on on the the beaches of of costa rica puking due to uh exhaustion from from attempting to to get out past the break so i i leave it to my kids now um i'm the fat guy on the paddleboard and they're just tearing up the surf it's uh the fat guy on the paddleboard is a very uh very controversial surfing path to take uh a lot of people don't like the suppers because there's they're stealing waves from far out it's uh it's a it's a big big contention in the surfing community i don't go where i'm not wanted and uh, i know that i know the rules and uh, i'll just tell you that it's a lot easier to catch waves on a stand-up paddleboard so you go where you're not interfering with the locals yeah you go to the outer brick there you go it's a paddle too there uh, you go buddy greg i think you might need to just like back up for your mic a little bit it's sounding okay. clear just a little too loud but that's perfect okay um yeah freaks i'm sitting down with uh, greg foss uh, long time high yield credit cap structure arb uh, that that's what you did uh, at at rbc correct so i i started my career at rbc but no i never did that there okay. i did it at a, a number of uh, two different hedge funds in canada okay so let me give better context to this conversation greg and i had a conversation a great conversation yesterday about his background in a particular valuation model that he has for bitcoin or at least something that we should bench bitcoin uh benchmark bitcoin against and that is the the high yield uh credit default swap markets and uh the basically the probability of their uh default in the amount that would default uh should be a proxy for what bitcoin is worth because bitcoin is the ultimate hedge for these sovereign defaults is that correct that that just about nails it exactly. Uh, you did say the high yield market, but no, they're they're all related. But yeah, it would be the sovereign credit, sovereign CDS market. So credit default swap market. Yeah, and 
so let's I mean, let's jump into your background first and then why this particular market is is one that you've been paying attention to in the context of Bitcoin. Sure. Thank you, Marty. Uh, yeah. So quickly, uh, I've spent uh, the better part of my well, not the better part, my entire 32 year career trading uh, has been spent with a credit focus. Um, I have worked on both the buy side and the sell side of the street on both Bay Street in Canada and Wall Street in New York. And let's be honest, most trading in uh, credit products, uh, high yield credit products anyway, which was my focus takes place in New York. So even if you're if you're based in if you're based in Canada, it, it takes place on Wall Street. Yeah. So so what I know is um, that uh, credit is a very misunderstood market generally. Um, and what you need to know is that the credit markets rule most other markets. So I like to say that the credit markets can dictate where the equity markets go. And it's quite simple from a, for a number of correlations that we can get into. But again, um, I like to look to the credit markets for indications of stress in the system. If you go back to the great financial crisis in 2008, the equity markets were in 2007, pre, running up to the credit crisis, the uh, equity markets. Okay, just like six inches away from the bike. It's like just like right little, here, more yeah, like this. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. Leading up to the uh, equity markets uh, or the great financial crisis, the equity markets were hitting all time highs, yet the credit markets were signaling distress, some of the short term funding rates and whatnot. So my career has been spent uh, looking for indications from the credit markets. And I always say that the credit markets are the dog that wags it tail and the tail is the equity market. So there's a lot of things you can look at there. Uh, but one of the things that I proposed to Marty was uh, using the CDS market as a leading indicator of valuation to Bitcoin. And we can get into the methodology, but it, I believe it has merit. Some of the people that I've talked to certainly are quite excited about it and even about formulating an, an index and I'd love to get into all those, uh, all that subject, if uh, if that's uh, where you want to lead the conversation. No, totally, because I think this is a valuation framework that I certainly haven't come across yet. But it makes it's like, ah, how come nobody's thought about this yet? If Bitcoin is the ultimate hedge against um, sovereign default, or even before sovereign default, uh, 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 destruction of confidence in the sovereigns that represent the payback of those those bonds into the future um um so the default would trigger the cds market people would go to get their their insurance on default and so this sort of interest rate can can help you gauge the probability that the market is giving correct it's a fluid market um to give you some uh context uh in 2006 Prior to the great financial crisis, you could buy default protection on Lehman Brothers for nine basis points. What that meant was it cost you $9,000 a year to insure $10 million of Lehman Brothers credit. Okay. Uh, that $9,000 premium, like think of it as an insurance premium, when Lehman defaulted was worth many, many, many millions of dollars. And that's simply what credit default insurance is. 
Think of it as like house insurance. You pay a premium to insure a stated value of credit. Now, these markets are for sophisticated investors. You generally need what's called an ISDA to trade this. Well, not generally, you do. It's a, an agreement between counterparties, generally the large uh, Wall Street banks. And imagine, for example, if you had purchased Lehman Brothers default protection from Bear Stearns. Uh-oh, all of a sudden my insurance provider is also going down and I better go out and purchase default protection on Bear Stearns. So it becomes circular, um, but it is a leaning indicator. And generally it is like uh, perhaps it, 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 people will blame the CDS uh, on the GFC, but at the end of the day, it's like anything. There's a price, there's a buyer and seller. You definitely have to know who your counterparty is. And I like to say Bitcoin is the anti-fiat with no counterparty risk. So every single fixed income investor in the world needs exposure to Bitcoin as portfolio insurance to credit calamities in the sovereign debt market. And don't say it can never happen because people were saying, ah, Lehman Brothers, it can never default. And Bear Stearns, it can never default. Well, the great financial crisis just transferred leverage from the banking system to the balance sheets of the governments. And now we're at the same point again. And they're about to turn on the printers harder than they ever have before. Um, it's going to be it's it's already too late, Marty. Mathematically, it's already too late. You cannot escape this debt, debt spiral. It is a mathematical certainty that we are already at the point of no return. It's impossible that our economy will outgrow the expansion of the balance sheet purely from the coupon on the debt. Okay, We don't even have to worry about new debt that's being added. Purely from the coupon on the debt right now, it is impossible that our economy grows fast enough to escape this debt spiral. And when I say our economy, I mean the global economy, but then we can focus on Canada versus the US uh, and the subtleties between those two. Yeah, so I guess this is a good point to dive into the these separate sovereign CDSs. And I saw you tweeting about Canada's AAA uh, being at 30, 35 bips, correct? Correct, except it trades like a single A. So the rating agencies, which are subjective, um, can say, oh, it's a triple A credit. But the reality is the market's telling you it's a, tr a single A. And you always look at markets for truth, right? There is somebody out there who is concerned and purchasing protection on Canada uh, to hedge their risk. Now, the funny thing is they may be purchasing protection on Canada because they themselves have sold protection on Italy. There's tons of different uh, ways to hedge and wedge yourself in this, but it is a market and it's real. And I'll tell you, it gives very, very good uh, indications of future stress in the system. Yeah, that Italy situation has gone under the radar. They've had some very tumultuous political stuff going on at the government level, right? Didn't they disband the government or something? You know what? I don't follow it closely enough because at the end of the day, those pigs, you remember they used to call them the the, the uh, middle European countries, the pigs, mm -hmm. and that stood for Portugal, Italy, Greece, and Spain. Um, when it comes right down to it, when Draghi went out there and say, we will do whatever it takes, well, that is a backstop 
that's bigger than Canada. And my argument would be, and I don't want this to happen, but if a G7 nation is to fail, uh, my bet is that it'll be one that is not supported by the European Central Bank, uh, and it will not be the Fed. And that leaves my poor, beautiful country of Canada sort of hanging out there as a ribbon of distress. I'm not predicting this, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just saying these are stresses that the MMTers have no idea. And Trudeau himself, our prime minister, probably could not explain this for the life of him. But these are markets, and it's traded with sophisticated investors. The reality being, anybody who owns, though, an obligation from the government of Canada in the form of a fixed income bond should not be concerned about inflation risk anymore. It's all about credit risk going forward. And how dire is the, the situation in the credit markets in Canada? It right is now? not yet. It is not at all. I'm just saying, though, that 36 basis points is indicative of a country that is trading like a single A credit not the triple A credit that the credit rating agencies and the government assume. Greg froze up here on my end. Uh, you know, I'm not going to, it's already started with Venezuela. We've seen it with Turkey though. Sorry, you froze there for me for a little bit, but I think we're back. And, okay. Um, I I think we're good. I think we're good. Okay, um, so I just ba was basically there will be hundreds of fiats that fail. I shouldn't say hundreds, but of the hundred and eighty odd fiats in the world, uh, lots of them will fail before uh, the G twenty nations. So it'll be you know we just have to keep our our eyes open and look at the CDS market for Turkey, for example, and see what contagion that causes in other markets. Mm -hmm. All right, and so tying this into a, a Bitcoin valuation framework, the size of the the cumulative CDS market for these sovereign um, debt markets is equivalent to the pot potential total addressable market for Bitcoin as its use as so, a. So yeah, I I I I don't un, uh, define it like this, and let's use the United States as a uh, as an example of one of the countries that you would tie into this. So Jeffrey Gunlock, who I'm sure many of your listeners know who that is, a famous West Coast fund manager, says that the U.S. has $160 trillion worth of unfunded liabilities. It also has about $30 trillion of debt at the federal level, not including um, state and municipal debt. So we'll, we'll take the unfunded and funded liabilities of the United States of $190 trillion. And we'll look at the CDS market, which is currently 14 basis points, which means it costs $14,000 a year to insure $10 million worth of United States Treasury debt over a five-year term. And we'll multiply that 14 basis points times the outstanding liabilities of $190 trillion. And you come up with a number that's over $200 billion worth of insurance value. Now, that is a fluid calculation because the size of the debt will change and the CDS market will change. Imagine, for example, but that $200 billion would be for the United States. And you would do that for 
a similar, let's say the G20 countries, you'd get a cumulative number and you would compare that to the market value of Bitcoin, which is currently right around 600 billion. But if the US accounts for over 200 billion of it, I'm very confident that it's very easy to get to close to trillion dollar valuations for a hedge that would be an anti-fiat hedge. And that's what I view Bitcoin as. So it's a valuation me methodology, Marty. I'd like to call it the fulcrum index. I'm working on it with a, another gentleman in Canada. His name is Sean Cumby. And Sean and I were partners at 3IQ and we brought the first exchange listed Bitcoin fund to Canada that trades in Canada. So Sean and I have had a long history together, much longer than just 3IQ, but the point is, we have a very, uh, we have a shared interest in Bitcoin, a shared interest in valuing it and promoting it to people as a hedge, not just against government, uh, failed government policies, but also as a hedge to instruments that you may not think of that you need protection on. And that includes everybody that owns bonds of any maturity to any sovereign debt, uh, debtor in the North American or even the the, uh, the, the global, uh, playground. Yeah, I really like it. And so it's fascinating to, to sort of put this valuations framework in this perspective. And so I guess one question I have right now at this juncture, and I have many questions, but one I'll ask right now is, so when you say Bitcoin's total addressable market is the sum of that, that CDS market compared to or the sum of the sovereign debt market compared to the uh the cds yield uh would you recommend people buy bitcoin as a hedge to that or the cds's as well is it either so, or so both? the perfect thing is about bitcoin is it has no counterparty risk so right. i sort of laid out the story where yeah I'm, I'm really i'm comfortable because i own protection on lehman brothers but oh darn i bought it from bear stearns the counterparty risk in the financial markets is a huge, huge concern. And Bitcoin doesn't have that. So 100%, Marty, I would recommend it. And not only that, most people can't participate in the credit default swap market because they do not have the ISDA that's required. ISDA stands for International Swap Dealers Association or something of that nature, I've forgotten. But you don't get it without being a multi-billion dollar fund uh, and all sorts of collateral uh, arrangements. Yeah, so you have to you have to be one of the big boys. You have to be a part of the club. It's uh, or you know it, yeah correct. But at the end of the day, yes, most of the small investors and medium sized funds would not have access. But what they do have access to is our uh, future of, as Michael Saylor would say, the purest form of monetary energy there is. Right. Well, I guess this is a good segue into how you being in uh, the being a trader for 35 years in traditional markets came to find Bitcoin and, and seem to be a champion of it now at this point and to the point where you're, you're involved in many ways. You're talking about this framework you're, you're working on. Um, you also have Validus as well, where, where you're incorporating Bitcoin there. Um, three IQ, obviously, with the, the financial product, like how. How did you fall down the rabbit hole? So my first job, I am Canadian. Um, I, I, I was in a practicing engineer in Canada 
uh, went to uh, a school in Montreal that uh, you already knew. Uh, we talked about it. You may have gone there to play lacrosse almost. So the neat thing is uh, McGill University, pretty, pretty good engineering school. I um, graduated from engineering and love the mathematics side of it. But at the end of the day, I, I wanted to go into business. So I went to the U.S. and I got an MBA and I came back to Canada. And I was working uh, in Montreal at the head office of the Royal Bank of Canada. And uh, uh, it had a split head office, not that that's important, but uh, Toronto and Montreal. And in Montreal, I was working for the CFO of the Royal Bank of Canada, Canada's largest financial institution. And one of my first projects was to work on the Latin American debt portfolio, the exposure to defaulted loans that not only the Royal plan to switch those five-year loans into a 30-year obligation. It was called Brady Bonds. It led me down the path where I said, well, first of all, we better check what our book value of equity is. And lo and behold, the Royal Bank of Canada was insolvent in 1988. And I wasn't too happy about that. And I said, well, this is my job. I'm working for an institution that's, uh, that's really up against it. It was reflective of other money center banks in North America, as I mentioned, but it led me down the path of how is it possible that a bank can maintain such a high credit rating, perceived credit quality, when it is levered to the point where it can be insolvent on a regular basis? And the answer is because it has an implied backstop by the federal governments in both countries and in all countries. And what is that federal backstop? It's essentially the ability to print money to bail out the financial system. And that was in 1988. And I went into trading credit and further down the, it wasn't down the rabbit hole at this point, but further down the analysis of balance sheets and whatnot, I just realized how poor the, uh, the federal and provincial balance sheets in Canada really were relative to their cash flows and their ability to tax and everything. So for 25 years, I was looking for a solution. And in 2016, after the great financial crisis and after having lived through all those uh, quite scary moments in the financial system, uh, I found Bitcoin. And it was actually the founder of 3IQ, a gentleman from Montreal by the name of Fred Pye, who introduced me to Bitcoin and asked me to be a founding shareholder. And I said, wow, I've been looking for this for 30 years or 25 years at that point. And the one thing he showed me as an engineer that convinced me of the coolness of Bitcoin was the big, the blockchain in action. And at tradeblock.com, for anyone who's not watched the blockchain, working with the ha- uh, the mempool and the hashes and the, who, who, the miner that wins the last, uh, the, the last uh, block and whatnot, for an engineer, I was like, in 2016, hold on, I, I'd heard about Bitcoin, but I just didn't understand that there was really this system behind it. Not only was the system behind it, but you could watch it and observe it in real time. So I fell down the rabbit hole hard and I've been researching it for and learning from you and from the masters of the, of the circuit, like uh, 
safety and Brie love um, guys, you guys are doing a great job and uh, I'm still a plebe and I'm happy for it, but uh, it, it has brought me sanity and uh, comfort that um, there is a, there is a solution to this Fiat Ponzi scheme. And I will say that outright, that's what it is. And people, as Henry Ford said many years ago, if people truly understood how the global banking system worked, they would run for the hills. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with it. You just have to understand the risks that are truly present. Yes. And you alluded to one of those risks earlier, which is the the alternative path that the quote-unquote experts in charge want to lead us down, which is monetary, modern monetary theory. And so how does this school of thought miss... Um, what you deem to be crucial moving forward, which is not allocating flows uh, directly via the central government. So it, it's great question. And it, what it is, I, I say this often, um, I'm certain that no MMTers have really uh, traded credit in their life. Uh, that's probably a given. Uh, bless you. I've, I'm you. certain that they uh, haven't uh, uh, taken a whole lot of mathematics courses. And I think they take a lot of things, um, just they assume that, hey, this is the way it's been. And uh, Joe Weisenthal and all those, you know, we'll just print our way. We don't need a 50-year bond. Uh, why Why do we need a bond? We can just print our way uh, can, to prosperity. It's, it's commit, quite scary. We can mint a $2 trillion coin. That's all you need to do. So it's all good. It's uh, as long as you understand mathematics and what you were exposed to. The big risk, Marty, is contagion. And in credit markets, it stops. It's the marginal producer of debt, excuse me, the marginal consumer of debt. When debt has to roll over and an auction becomes thin or whatever, it, the confidence of the market gets shaken. And since when you're running a deficit, and a, a balance sheet like the central banks are running, debt never matures. It actually just rolls over. But those rolls are the ones that will flash the alarm bells. You can roll over forever, though. You can just keep rolling it. Until the buyer does not roll. And that's the key. And that's when one buyer says, imagine you're a big buyer. And this is what happened in the Canadian financial markets. There was actually a precursor to the global financial crisis. Our, one of our largest financial institutions in Canada called the Case de, de, Case de Depot et Placements de Quebec, CDPQ, a multi, you know, $150 billion fund that runs pension money for the province of Quebec, was exposed to about $16 billion of an asset-backed commercial paper product that was sold out of New York into Canadian uh, accounts. There was 32 billion of it sold into Canada, and it was based on a leveraged super senior product that was a five-year term that was funded with 90-day commercial paper. <laughs> so the case decided not to roll. Well, they own 16 billion of it. They didn't roll, and the market stopped on a dime. The reason they didn't roll is because there was some exposure, and granted. There was exposure, but it was minuscule in, rel in relationship to the whole structure to U.S. subprime mortgages. 
So prior to the credit crisis really hitting the front pages in New York, Canada stopped functioning on a, on a product that the Case de Depot owned 10% of their assets in, Marty. 10% of their fund, of their... Uh, of, of the pension assets of Quebecers was in asset-backed commercial paper, and it went from 100 cents on the dollar down to 20 cents on the dollar in a matter of a couple of months. And that's what happens when confidence in the system stops, the marginal buyer stops buying, and they realize, oh my goodness, Lost Greg again temporarily, hoping he comes back. 27. Capitalism. But at the end of the day, this I, is a big risk called contagion. Okay. I just lost you for like 15 seconds, so I'm not sure. But no, Dang, I agree. I'm so sorry about my internet connection. Oh, it's all good. It's all good. Um, and no, it's, it's crazy how fragile things are and how contagion can spread so quickly. I never knew that about the Canadian market um, showing signs before the U S housing market. And so when it comes to like, um, I got the pause, made me forget what I was going to ask. I had a good question too. <laughs> um, oh God, we're going to have to go on to something else. Cause I, I completely f forgot that question. Um, trying to think here. It'll come back to you, bro. Yeah. But it's, Yeah, give me a second. It's gonna come back to me. Okay. The um, no, I lost it. I lost it. But whatever, we can keep going down this tip. And... Okay. So, so here's what I know, Marty. It's it's it is contagion. Nowhere else is that uh, as prevalent. The equity markets. You know, you have much in the equity markets. The cool thing is you have institutional players. You have Robin Hood players. You have small uh, uh, versus large. Uh, buy side guys, you know, you have, a, you have a PIMCO, but then you have hundreds of smaller asset managers. In, in, in credit, it's really driven by some very large, sophisticated pools. And don't forget about credit, it's asymmetric. That's the problem. As a bond guy or a credit guy, you're a pessimist. You never ask, how much can I make? That's what the equity guys ask. Equity guys think that trees grow to the moon. Bond guys... Yeah, was... Bond guys ask, how much can I lose? Because yeah. it's an asymmetric return for bond guys to the downside. Mm -hmm. So that's why contagion is such a you know, catastrophe and concern because they're always thinking about the downside. There's not that much upside. No, and then as soon as it looks like downside is imminent, yeah, you have that cascading effect. And I remember it's... my question. Okay, go ahead, bro. So you're describing uh, like the person who decides to stop buying uh, this debt is the one question I had. So they're funding a five-year note with 90-day debt. Is the buyer that 90-day debt like, hey, I don't want the short term? Is that the the, bu the buyer of last resort that? Well, sometimes it depends on the structure. But how about this? Think of this. You know, when you're when you're funding the U.S. Uh, uh, deficit, you got buyers of 30-year bonds at an auction. You got buyers of fives, tens, depending on the risk baskets that people need. If you're an insurance company, etc. But any of those auctions can be poorly received, as uh, Rick Santelli gives him the grades on the um, 
on the on the uh, t television on CNBC. I love his expression. It was a dog minus, right? A D minus. Um, I guess he's never given an F. But what happens when there's an F is uh, the demand is underwhelming. Usually, they're the the bid to cover, they call it, it, is two and a half times the amount of bonds that are offered. Imagine if a, an auction comes in and there's only one to one, meaning there's only one buyer for every treasury bond that's for sale. They might say, oh my God, this is a weak auction. And then the next auction that goes off, it doesn't really matter the term. What if it's 50% of the amount that they really wanted to sell? And then the guy that says it's, it, it, it'll fail to the extent but really what happens is the confidence is shaken because people look and say, hey, this isn't about auctions. This is about the outstanding debt that I own. This is about my whole portfolio, not the marginal piece that I was going to buy at this auction or that I was going to you know, reshape my portfolio. So the term doesn't matter. If, if you're rolling T-bills or if you're rolling 30 years that have now become a one year into the next 30-year bond, it's all, you know, that flows in and the flows out. It has to match. Mm -hmm. And when it doesn't match, that's when the contagion starts. Yeah. No, I mean, we saw inklings of this in 2019, September 20, November, September, I forget exactly which, September, okay. I believe. Right, with the, the repo spasms, right? That was... Uh... 100%. That's where you look at the plumbing of the financial system. So you'll look at things like the TED spread, the repo... These are all terms that, uh, that the credit guys are pretty familiar with, but they indicate stress in the financial system, and you don't mess with that stuff. I wanted to point something out, though. The volatility is a very key measure of risk, as everybody knows. But when you are long credit, and this is a very key point, when you are long credit, you are essentially short volatility. Okay, And there are hedge funds that will trade equity vol versus credit product. So if you're long high yield bonds, you can purchase volatility in the market, in the equity market and hedge yourself. But some of the funds will ride it and they'll say, okay, I'm, I have a delta of 20%, meaning I'm 20% hedged on my vol requirement. If vol starts to widen, it's a bit like, hey, I got to get on side on my on my hedge. It's like a gamma trade. It's 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 these. It's an option trade that expands on itself. When you when the market's going against you, you actually have to purchase more of that protection or that volatility because you're short it, and the volatility is expanding. It's like again the gamma trade. It's the you know the delta hedgers in the option market that turn into gamma because uh, of the second derivative. I don't want to get too mathematical on everybody, but it, it's very explainable. And what happens then is the credit markets lead to volatility in the equity markets, and it becomes circular. So why do you think that the Fed stepped into the equity markets and the high yield market this year? Very simply, to reduce volatility, to stabilize the system, to stabilize the credit market. Fascinating. And so this is why we'll see the VIX spike to like 21 in a day or something like that. Is, oh, is hey, listen, and it when it moves, you guys know it. Like, I mean, in general, what was one of the biggest strategies was selling volatility because over time, yes, when you sell volatility, you make money, but it's those downtimes it's when vol spikes from 25 to 85 and not only that when it spikes like that 
When it spikes like that, that's where I lost them. Lost them too many times. Did you hear me say? Oh, I heard you say when it spikes like that. And it spikes like that. It gets flung around like a rag doll. Yeah. So in that, it spikes like that because all these uh, long yield investors are piling into to buy protection. It's partly that, but it's also part. You know, they're doing it through options. They're doing it through. Uh, protection mechanisms and also the equity guys are searching for the same protection so it's like you know everyone running for the same keyhole and stuffing a marshmallow into a piggy bank right yeah seems seems like a productive way to run a global financial it's system only, it's only math marty it's like there sometimes you have no other solutions remember credit is asymmetric to the downside and you need to protect that asymmetry what i love about bitcoin is bitcoin's asymmetric to the upside ladies and gentlemen you're playing the other game. You're playing a game that's in your favor, not a game that's against your favor. I love that, that framing. Instead of stressing about losing a bunch of money, you can be optimistic about potentially making a lot of money. Uh, we can run through other Bitcoin valuations that I'm sure you've heard, but let me tell you, this is the best asymmetric trade I have seen in my 30 years of trading. And you've seen some pretty good ones, I imagine, because we've seen some booms and busts. Here's the, the funny day. thing. If, you're, if you've been in the market for 30 years and you haven't blown up, you've done something right. I'm not saying I'm really that smart, but what I have done is I've avoided. And when I realize I'm wrong, I reverse position. I'm not Peter Schiff. I don't turn around and basically try and dig a deeper hole for myself. I realize I pray, play probabilities. I, I play expected valuations. I have no trade that I'm ever 100% certain on. I just play the probabilities. And this one is such a great probability adjusted trade because I don't have to have a huge probability that my outlying price predictions are correct. But even that small probability that these outlandish price predictions are correct, the expected value of that is huge. And so what are your, what are your craziest expectations? I like to start with physical gold. It's easy to it's easy to put a ten trillion dollar market cap on that and divide by twenty one million, and everyone knows the answer. You get uh, close to five hundred thousand U.S. dollars a coin. Um, you know, I can. You got to go through a hundred thousand before you get to five hundred thousand. But if you ask me what some of my crazy ones are, uh, total global financial assets, by my calculation, is over 900 trillion US dollars. That includes real estate. And is it crazy to think that Bitcoin could get 5% of that market? I don't think so, particularly if it becomes a global reserve asset, like I think it will. And we'll get into why I think that'll happen because of the energy link. But 5% of $900 trillion is $45 trillion, Marty. $45 trillion divided by 21 million. You know, that's over 200 excuse me, $2 million a coin. There's not 100% certainty it's going there, ladies and gentlemen, but I will tell you it's greater than zero. And do your own expected value analysis. And it's pretty easy to apply a very large outcome where Bitcoin is worth close to zero and still buy Bitcoin right now with your eyes closed because the, the asymmetric return to the upside is so great. So again, do 
do an expected value analysis on a binary probability distribution that has a 0%, excuse me, a 3% chance of going to 2 million a coin and a 97% chance of going to zero. And you come up with an expected value today of about $60,000 a coin. <laughs> so what are you supposed to do? You buy it with your eyes closed, you use it as protection, and you don't worry that it's traded from 41 down to 31, and Joe Weisenthal's calling for the end of uh, Bitcoin for how long now, Joe? I don't know, the last 15 years? Okay, because he was calling for its demise even before it started. You know, <laughs> some people just don't reverse course. They don't play a probability. He can be 92% certain it'll fail, but that other 8%, Buddy, you got to do some math. Right. I think Joe's sneaky, a Bitcoiner. But I, I, I like him on most parts, but I do say when he, he brought that thing up about Hertz equity having some value, when the bonds were trading at 40% of par, I'm like, buddy, that's bad, bad advice. Because if the bonds aren't worth 100 cents on the dollar, which they weren't trading anywhere near, the equity is nothing but an out-of-the-money option, and don't fan the fire of uninformed people going to buy equity of something that ultimately they'll get zero for. Yeah, that's a good point. Very good point. It is crazy how overheated the equity markets are. It's I'm not going to say that. Um, yeah. Look, the money's got to go somewhere, and if you're it's in true. a 1% 10-year bond, there's nothing there but... 1% over the next 10 years, Marty, that's pure mathematics. And if you're a CalPERS that has an 8% prescribed rate of return, how are you getting 8% when 40% of your portfolio is exposed to something that'll earn right around 1% or 2%? Yeah. You better get it in something else. And that means equity's got to come through in a big way. But when you're printing enough money, you know, money finds its way into a uh, into those those things some of the dangerous things that are happening though is uh the flows of money into fallen angel debt right now fallen angel being investment grades credits that fell into the junk spectrum it is a bit of a sweet spot for credit traders but generally look it's a reach for a yield that can be very dangerous these are credits that are not going in the right direction uh from a uh credit metric point of view um, one of the th reasons that's, I, I will say it, it may have been rumored, but I'll tell you for a fact, one of the reasons the Fed inserted themselves as a potential buyers within the high yield market was because of four credits, okay? General Electric, AT&T, General Motors, and Ford. And all four, all four of those credits are right on the cusp of being downgraded into high yield land. If they got downgraded into high yield land, they would overwhelm the potential buyers of high yield debt because their four balance sheets combined are larger than the entire high yield market itself. Huh. So the okay, Fed saying, hey. The Fed, the Fed would be concerned with that um, when still inefficient investment guidelines say you cannot own a bond that's rated by Moody's or S&P that's called non-investment grade without even considering the price. How, how, how do you ever make a decision about an investment without considering the price? Well, that's what credit rating agencies do for you. They tell you it's non-investment grade without telling you that you could earn a, I don't know, 25% yield. Is that investment grade? Maybe. For me, it could be. 
How about if they gave it to you for free? Does that make it investment grade? Darn right it does. Don't right. take a credit rating agency's subjective opinion and make an investment decision on it without in, uh, considering price. But again, the Fed had to step in because there's those inefficient investment guidelines in the world. Okay. So if any of those four companies you mentioned did get their bonds downgraded, it would have overwhelmed the buyers in that particular high yield market. And so the Fed's saying, all right, we'll step in in case this does happen. We'll buy that. And, and there's so, contagion there too, Marty, because if one gets downgraded, what, what are you supposed to expect for, like if Ford gets downgraded, don't you think it, uh, GM uh, will people too. would draw the parallel to, to General Motors? Same thing with AT&T. Would people go to Verizon? Uh, it would cause Verizon debt to widen. I wouldn't say Verizon would be downgraded to high yield, but those are the contagion concerns. Absolutely. Yeah. And so what happens if they don't step in? Like, is there just like a couple of days of options or don't forget why the fed would step in again. It's all to defend the banking system that itself is, is levered 25 to one. Okay. A typical bank only has 4% equity capital to absorb losses on loans. In other words, they have four cents to absorb losses on a dollar's worth of loans. The other 96 cents is made up of depositors' money and subordinate debt. That's what leverage in banking is, ladies and gentlemen. And when credit spreads widen, that 4% equity, uh, that 4% equity protection is vaporized very quickly. And they're turning it up to 11 again, like like we discussed yesterday. Like they have the no bank, choice. They, the it's bank. mathematics. Okay, in a debt spiral. The fiat currency is the error term. Again, an error term will complete the loop. It completes the mathematical math, mathematical equation, but that's what fiat is. It will debase because they continually have to print it to fill in the gap of the loop. So what was that term? Error term. Error term. Mm -hmm. So it is like like that is, you just push. Everything. That's right. It, it's yeah. it's it's it, it's what completes the mathematical equation. It's like Michael Saylor would say, the you know why does he love Bitcoin? Because it's the first law of thermodynamics, conservation of energy. Well, this error term is the same thing as completing the financial budget loop of debt versus uh, the ability to fund it. Yeah, it's a scary scenario. So let's shift to more rosy topics like Bitcoin and energy. Okay. Coming together. Um, not that, I, I mean, I'm fascinated by that, but again, like you said, you can't time it, but the conditions are there for, for these contagion like events to We saw to, it to in happen. 2008. Let's, you know, one of the things you do, if you don't learn by hit from history, you're doomed to repeat it. Well, okay, let's keep going. And then, especially when you consider it, like, how are we going to do this or expect the system to 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 stand up and withstain like an attempt for the global economy to go back to work after these four shutdowns like it's... i'm not i'm not uh i i'm not a doomsayer but it is it is uh it is a heck of a challenge yeah i mean if you if you're okay talking about it, you're talking about another side business you have um that's been affected by the shutdowns i i, I may have a, I, I missed a couple of those can you ask the question again Said so if you're comfortable talking about what we discussed yesterday, like you have side businesses that have been affected by oh sure, so by the lockdowns. 
Yeah, I, well, one of my side businesses, I own, uh, I, I'm a partner in eight Irish pubs in the Montreal area. So uh, those have been affected. That's, uh, that's a real life story where we employ uh, hundreds of uh, young men and women who uh, they, their livelihood may be forever um, uh, ter- uh, terminated. Yeah, it's insane, man. It's not easy, Marty, but here, here, there's some really good things happening. Let's let's move it to the to the or it's your show always. But I, I want to there's a I love the United States. I, I love your country. I'm a proud Canadian that and there's so many good things happening in Canada on the Bitcoin side. I, I, a couple of shout outs I'd love to make. Um, there's an author in Canada. His name is Jesse Berger, who wrote a book called uh, a book about Bitcoin, Magic Internet, excuse me, the title, Magic Internet Money, a book about Bitcoin. And Marty, his first chapter, the first sentence in there is, fix the money, fix the world. And he quotes you, Marty. <laughs> okay. This kid is a Canadian who decided to write a book about Bitcoin because he went down the same rabbit hole I went down in, in a different uh, uh, context. Um, but he's an example of, you know, a, a guy that's, uh, he, he doesn't get the same, um, airtime as a, as a breed love or a Pierre Richard, but he's equally committed to teaching the world about, uh, this beautiful solution that he's found. Um, and then we have some great mining companies, hot eight mining in Canada, who's the CEO is a personal friend of mine. She's just the youngest CEO of any major listed company in Canada and it's a Bitcoin miner and they are very cheap uh, relative to other miners in the world Um, but it's a beautiful thing you know I could go up and down the the spectrum of Canadians that are trying to do great stuff for the Bitcoin community and I'm proud to be part of that no there's a lot of incredible stuff Rodolfo CoinKite pushing out incredible hardware Uh, Francis and crew at Bull Bitcoin obviously Steve Barber at Upstream Steve oh. is a he's he's a and this is where your your and my futures uh, are very intersected and that's in the energy patch and the ability to uh, to bring all the good things of Bitcoin to the energy patch and uh, truly I have uh, a lot of respect for Steve and I've never met him uh, but I do know one of his business partners uh, Denver Bitcoin who uh, uh, just a great kid so again I'm 57 years old I shouldn't say again I'll pull my pants down and tell you I'm 57 years old. I'm old enough, twice as old as most of you guys. Um, and I love the energy and the vigor within the, uh, the community, Francis Pouliot. I mean, I'll tell you, this is beautiful stuff that, uh, that these guys are, 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 uh, the foundations that they're, uh, building upon. And I'm proud to be part of that community. I found it four years ago. I continue to learn from you guys. Um, and, just even indigenous Canadians, the ability for indigenous Canadians to embrace this beautiful separation of state and money just opens doors up for so many different uh, avenues of, uh, of empowerment, etc. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I don't, I, I talk a gloomy scenario when I have my credit hat on. And then when I put my Bitcoin hat on, it, it just gives me so much more, uh, more hope. Me as well. And yeah, I mean, it's hard not to be hopeful when, especially when you're working this closely with Bitcoin and you see what's going on on the ground at the software level. It's 
it you, provides. I leave that to you. you. When you point, you pull out things like shore and taproot and all that stuff. That's when I, you know, I just say, hey, I'll leave it to the experts. Uh, what do I know? I know 21 million hard cap math and code. And as Jack Mailer says, uh, don't mess with open source, guys. You'll never win that battle. Okay. Right. So uh, it's open source. And in this double spend issue was so cool because it proved in my mind, exactly the way the system is set up to, uh, to, to, uh, police itself, if you will. Yeah. To handle this. People freaked out way too hard about that. You never know, uh, strategically, uh, when the, when the, when the, when it was announced and why it was announced, I'm not going to point any fingers. I'll just say this. The beautiful thing is sane minds prevailed. And, um, you talk to people with levels of sophistication across disciplines like you have, Marty, uh, coding, mathematics, uh, engineering. Uh, you don't get that level of talent, uh, diversity of talent in a lot of other industries in my, from my uh, uh, perspective. So I love the Bitcoin Twitter guys. Um, I love the energy space and what that uh, could offer to both of our nations. I do as well. I'm like, So how did you get segued into the energy space it seems like you haven't really i, I don't want to assume markets you've traded in the past but sure going from credit to energy seems like a pretty big move so it, it's it's really cool obviously canada is very uh, sensitive as a percentage of our gdp uh, compared to the united states our energy sectors uh uh, oil and gas sector is uh, a larger component. Uh, it's been hit hard. Um, but how did I get involved? Well, firstly, I've traded a lot of those bonds in my life. Um, the Permian Basin, I sort of became exposed to it as a, as a bond trader. Uh, I heard you talking with Chai Girl or whatever and talking about the different uh, private equity guys. You guys didn't really hit on the high yield debt market, but that was a huge component of the Permian Basin uh, funding uh, side. And I owned a few of those bonds and had to be become an expert in, uh, in everything from uh, it, perhaps in oil sands. How about I throw out something called SAG-D, steam, steam Assisted Gravity Something. I don't even remember what the D st stands for, but I became an expert in, in, uh, in Opti Canada bonds that was draining oil from the tar sands using uh, steam uh, generated through pipes. Opti bonds were a high yield distress security uh permian basin bonds became uh distressed securities because of the uh, uh the collapse in oil prices you were talking about it with uh with uh i don't even remember her first name but anyway a great tracy podcast. i beg your pardon tracy tracy right tracy uh jacked her. yeah anyway at the end of the day she was spot on she you guys just didn't quite uh, appreciate the role that high yield played in that uh capital structure so what I would say is the energy space is been reeling, um, but Bitcoin and the ability to mine Bitcoin with surplus energy or waste gas, the stuff that you're doing in North Dakota, uh, is extremely exciting. Uh, and I'm involved in a, in a company called Validus Power, which is essentially a solutions-based uh, uh, company that can provide power to any, uh, any community or any project at scale and if you look at the neat things that they're doing they basically wheel in 35 megawatt trailer trucks and they can produce within two days they could be up and running with electricity that could be mining 
using flare gas or a stranded energy uh, source. Uh, it's all exciting. It's all because you can turn a revenue stream into, uh, or a prior uh, waste energy stream into a revenue uh, stream using Bitcoin mining. So it's a 32 megawatt gen set. That's insane. It is. It and and look at the web page and you see it. And as an engineer, you get all excited because this thing is like having a, 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 a Pratt and Whitney uh, or General Electric uh, 747 engine on the back that you just power up with natural gas and uh, you're rocking and rolling. All right. So, is it just more mobile than a than a turbine would be? It just makes it. Correct. Yeah. And, and, and actually, as a financier, the banks actually like that because you're not building a whole, uh, a whole infrastructure that uh, is immobile. This is mobile. If it doesn't work at that site, you just wheel it into another site. Yeah, that's fascinating. Going to have to dive more into that because that's, that's, I mean, diving into Great American Mining and falling down the oil and gas rabbit hole uh, like I have in the last couple of years, particularly like uh, understanding the nuances of the the operation equipment on these fields has been one of the, the most fascinating parts and gen sets is, uh, is interesting. It's, uh, the, the battle to keep them up and running on field and maintained is, uh, it's the maintenance is huge. Dirty gas versus clean gas. All that stuff is a component maintenance. You, you hear people quoting electricity rates that don't include maintenance. That's uh, dangerous stuff. Um, what it'll come down to is, uh, is is scale it uh, uh we're working on some projects that are uh you know measured in hundreds of megawatts and uh as large as gigawatts um they're not all bitcoin miners but in combination with the other uh uh users of power at those uh at those plants um it it, it provides for an exciting uh, uh mix of uh, clients yeah, and just the overall benefit for society, just in general, just lowering the energy intensity index and getting more GDP out of per molecule combusted. Is... How about how about also what you and Tracy were talking about is bringing other industries home as well? You know, right. where the energy industry right now we're sort of hamstrung in the mining space by ASICs chips that are manufactured overseas. Yeah. Uh, wouldn't it be amazing to bring some of that industry back to North America on the backs of the of the Bitcoin mining uh, boom that could potentially exist if a if a province like Alberta went uh, both uh, jumped in with both feet? Yeah. No, I'm just looking it up right now. Actually, Samsung announced earlier today that they're thinking about not that they're going to, but building a a ten billion dollar foundry in Austin, Texas, which would be incredible. Air Rochard's backyard. It's interesting. He could go be their auditor. Right. <laughs> we could have, uh, we need to get the Pierres together, like we were discussing yesterday. Uh, Pierre Polivar and Pierre Rochard. He's he's the man to do it. Um, and Pierre, uh, Pierre P Paul Livar in, in the House of Commons is the man to, to turn the screws on the other politicians. Absolutely. We need to get him into Bitcoin, man. He's an epic, epic ranter. I love well, his rants. He we had a pretty good politician up there in the form of our former prime minister, Stephen Harper, that said that uh, Bitcoin could be the world reserve currency. I actually didn't go that far. He said it could be a reserve currency. I'm going to take it one step farther. It will be the world reserve currency when energy is priced in Bitcoin. And that's a natural evolution, in my opinion. I agree as well. So I have this theory that energy producers... The largest Bitcoin miners in the world will be the central banks of the future, the mining pools 
and don't like not that they have control over the network, but talking about the function of how money comparing the function of how money is distributed currently via the federal reserve system where you have primary members that have access to the fed window and they have access to the, the newly created and funds that they then distribute. That's how monetary system works. That's going to shift to the largest miners, which I believe and I'm sure you believe as well will be the largest energy producers in the world. Uh, and so that what is the fed window is going to shift to the Bitcoin mining pool level and you're going to build a whole new financial stack from there and it's going to emanate from miners and mining pools which the pools in my mind i visualize as the new fed window which is Isn't beautiful cool? well here's what i know is the first podcast i've ever been exposed to was you and breed love talking about it and uh i actually uh robert is uh he gave, he gave a cool podcast in canada last night He's he's still uh, overseas, but uh, you know was on air. Um, yeah, you guys tweaked my interest in that um, six months ago, probably. What I would say too is this though: um, it'll be a process. It's uh, right now the miners are are uh, you know they need to vertically integrate them themselves a lot more. But it, it's yeah. a challenging business. Um, but as they begin, they gain scale and uh, backing. That's important is the backing from uh, the energy companies themselves who have a lot deeper pockets and a lot bigger uh, uh, balance sheets than the miners. Um, it's a natural evolution that Bitcoin will become the currency of the energy market. And you think about it, does Russia really want to be paid for their valuable resources that they're uh, pumping out of the ground in uh, de depreciating and debasing U.S. dollar? Or would they rather own Bitcoin? I think it's pretty simple. And I think Saylor would agree. Uh, look, if you have the purest form. Lost him again temporarily. Purest form. Sailor. We'll get Craig back. Uh-oh. How, how much did I miss on that one, brother? Sorry. I lost you at uh, Michael Sailor would say the purest form. Okay, so there you go. Like he'll just say, why would Russia want to own? Why would Russia want to pump their valuable natural resources for uh, 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 unstable fiat uh, uh, currency versus a digital elect uh, digital energy? Yeah, no, I completely agree, and I agree that's going to be a process that takes many decades, but. You got to start somewhere, right? You got to start. Thank goodness they started ten years ago, Marty. Where would we re Where would we be right now if we didn't? If this process was just starting with a white paper, right? Be a lot more pessimistic, I can tell you that. Um, oh, it, yeah. And and uh, again, math and code, you guys. Um, I don't want to overplay my hand, but uh, mathematics runs the world. Um, you can be as subjective as you want and uh, pretend that it doesn't or, oh, we can continue to print because we have been able to continue to print. Um, just look to Venezuela where they're shoveling their fiat to the corner curb. Uh, it's not worth uh, the garbage bag that it's packed in. No. Thank God we have Bitcoin. It's exciting <laughs> too, right? Again, going back to the optimism, like the being able to be on the cutting edge of this stuff. We, convincing. Um, we have a lot of reasons to be optimistic too. Uh, I think that there's communities in Canada I touched on and you, you mentioned in North Dakota as well, some of the indigenous communities, they have a lot of excess power to, to you know, they're cut off from the grid. Uh, they have a lot of excess power that uh, is not always being used, uh, ability to generate and, you know, you, you insert mining rigs up there and uh, 
you start mining for some Bitcoin and you're connected via satellite and all the good things, the technology, um, you can change entire communities and the outlook for entire communities uh, and revenue streams. This is all exciting because um, it, it, it allows for pure capitalism, right? People don't dictate what the hurdle rate will be. The open market dictates what the hurdle rate will be. Yeah, and then like we've been thinking about this a lot at GAM too, especially if you're using a lot of these previously wasted resources and uh, if if you wanted to start like a, an Alaskan sovereign wealth fund, their oil fund that they have, you could do that like a, a Texas, North Dakota Bitcoin fund that's that, that is a sovereign state fund funded by X amount of Bitcoin mined off of flared gas in each state. And it's start to coming. Think it's coming. And then, you know, the neat thing is the ESG investor social responsibility. They'll say, hey, the methane is not going into the into the atmosphere the CH4 and the 202s to pr pr produce energy plus water plus carbon dioxide. If you capture that carbon dioxide, you know, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful chemical formula as well. And all of this is good because energy ultimately is what powers mankind without energy. You know, we wouldn't be where we are right now. So don't dis energy, accept it and believe that, you know, we're always going to need it and don't pretend that it's not the most important component of a thermodynamic consideration. No. And just, if anything, just be as efficient as possible with, and that's the problem with energy up to this point, right? Is that not that we're consuming too much, but we're just significantly not inefficient with, with the ability to harness store and transport energy. We're starting to figure that out. Bitcoin helps here. It's, it's, a, it's a great educator. I think Gabor Gerbax, who's uh, at uh, Van Eck and was a business partner of ours at 3IQ, he quoted the other day, he says, Bitcoin has done more to educate the, uh, the population uh, than any combination of economics, uh, uh, poli-sci classes at universities ever have. And it's true. Right. Like the word fiat right now is... In the lexicon, I can promise you, twenty, you know, five years ago, even fiat was never even a terminology. People may have may have known it meant trust me, but now they also know it means paper money with no backing. Yeah, now we take it to the next step and just get people to refer to it as cuck bucks. That's like a terrible uh, <laughs> connotation. So people will dump them for sad. The, the twenty-nine year olds are able to say that, Marty. When you're a fifty-nine year old and you say that, they look at you and they say, "Hey, knucklehead, you graduated from university without ever having used a personal computer." And I go, <laughs> "Yes, that is true, but I still understand mathematics." Right. No, it is. A, a lot of people are like, "Ah, oh, older people will never get this, and they'll be able to use Bitcoin." C can you hold your own keys? Are you comfortable with that? <laughs> I'm comfortable. I, as long as my kids are comfortable, that's the biggest problem, not the biggest problem, the biggest issue, right? Because they, it's natural for them, right? It's, it's yeah. a beautiful thing. They've grown up with an iPhone. Again, I never graduated McGill you, having used a personal computer. It was only when I was at Cornell that I finally got the first floppy disk drive personal computer in Apple. And now there's more power in an iPhone than was needed to send two men to the moon in 1967. If you can't understand the beauty of that engineering marvel, then uh, sorry. Driven by energy consumption too. It's all part and parcel of the loop. Right. And it's, 
it's crazy. And again, keep on the optimistic tip here. Like we can't even imagine the, the creativity that this dynamic is going to open up, whether it be about Bitcoin, the sound money aspect of it, Bitcoin, the fact that it helps us find a consumer for wasted and stranded energy, uh, Bitcoin, the distributed network that, that forces us to learn about many different uh, verticals and subjects. Correct. Like the, uh, a lot of people are stuck in the view of the world now. And I, I'm just very excited to see the, the creativity that is unleashed and the types of things we see come to market. I can't probably can't even fathom them today. Correct. And I would, I would just say, look, a lot of the people that have opinions on this um, are not that good in math. Um, Peter Schiff, look, I love the guy. I can't say I love him, but I, 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 I understand his motivations for tweeting out some stuff. I'm not sure if you saw that one today where he said, uh, uh oh, uh, Bitcoin actually has a hundred million Satoshis for each Bitcoin. So therefore it's not, uh, it, it has almost infinite supply. And I just realized if it was him actually writing that, then he's never, he actually failed math. It's clear that he failed mathematics and doesn't understand the significance of the decimal point and the number of figures you can put to the right hand side of the decimal point. Uh, I just, I, I, it, it's very scary when people on platforms don't understand the significance of their statements, particularly when it comes to mathematics. Yeah. And particularly when they have large followings, I try to be careful with that here, even though I fail sometimes freaks, but no, it is. It's almost, it's at the point where it's riskier not to own Bitcoin due to the asymmetry you. It is exactly that Marty. If you are not long Bitcoin, you are irresponsibly short, very simple. It's not about why you own Bitcoin anymore. It's why don't you own Bitcoin? And that's what's happening on the institutional money management side. They are realizing that if they don't own it and their competitors do, they are at a material disadvantage from a risk management perspective. Yeah, and nothing's more evident than the uh, the mass mutuals of the world stepping in. The, the, the a beautiful of... account, and they only bought a hundred million. Imagine how much a hundred million is to the common man, but for them, it's like a rounding error. I hate to say it, but it is a rounding error. Yeah, no, but they're in the business of being risk averse, right? And I guess they've had this conversation too, where like, hey, we better get a hundred mil worth. This Theory of error. agents theory of agents they don't do anything if their competition isn't doing something but as soon as their competition's doing something hey it's more comfortable for all of us to run over the cliff together in the case of dumb investments or in the case of a smart investment like bitcoin i better own some because if i don't i'm gonna look like you know a bit of a fool yeah i guess that steel man this like yeah is this just a market driven by flows too and is that type of flow into bitcoin good for it in the long run if it's only like a a fad trade that people are hitching their wagons onto as they see their friends do it or is no, it something no but it's bigger than that right because it's part of a whole uh unit of account change you know it'll be neat when we don't worry about the volatility of bitcoin it's the volatility of everything else relative to to bitcoin bitcoin being the unit of account um this is a market that will always have growing pains. It will always have its doubters, but that's what you need. Bulls, bears, and pigs, right? In every market, you need 
the contrarian, you need the sell side. Imagine if no one was selling Bitcoin. Right. Then it would just, you know, you need the sellers, you need the buyers. The market is what the market is. The price is truth. Right now, Bitcoin's, you know, it, it Bitcoin just crashed. Isn't it funny? It just crashed and it returned to levels not seen since oh, 15 days ago. Like right. it's, it's crazy. If, in financial markets, you really got to understand this. Like I'll tell you what a crash is. A crash is something that does not return. Volatility is the price of return, as Bill Miller says. You need volatility in, in risk assets. If you don't have the volatility, you won't get the return. Very simple. Yeah. Makes sense. Too. It's funny how people still to this day can't stomach Bitcoin's volatility. The amount of texts I got in this week, like from <laughs> friends who bought like right before Christmas and after the new year, like, oh, is it going down? Yeah, but for here, Marty, here's the neat thing. If people spent as much time on, let's say they own 2% of their portfolio in, Bit in Bitcoin, if they spent as much time thinking about the other 98% of their risky investments as they do about that 2% exposure to Bitcoin, they wouldn't have enough hours in the day to, to, to do anything. You, it's so funny that they, you know, they'll learn though. People learn. And as I've been involved in it for five odd years, you've been involved in it, I'm certain, for longer than that. You just learn. One of my biggest challenges is, hey, it's a great day when I don't look at the price of Bitcoin. Right. I actually try not to look at the price of Bitcoin. Certainly on weekends, I try not to look at it. And sometimes I succeed and sometimes I don't, but it's all about lowering your time preference and understanding the, the, the game in the long run. Yeah. Lower your time preference freaks. How does this affect credit markets moving forward, do you think? Again, it will be a potential hedge. The credit markets are in big trouble because for I mean, the last... On a, uh, assuming we're on a Bitcoin standard. Okay. Uh, Great question, and I don't have the answer for that. I, I, but I, I did want to go one way. Fixed income in particular for the last 40 years has been on a one-way uh, downward or decline in interest rates. Interest rates in 1984, 85 in the United States were around 15 16%, and they went down to close to zero. Mathematics in bonds are that over the next 10 years, barring a default, the return on the 10-year U.S. Treasury over 10 years will be 1%. That's it. You don't make something out of nothing. People always said, oh, I'm making all these capital gains on bonds. What you were really doing is pulling forward your return on a coupon. You sell a 16% coupon and you own a 12% coupon and you get a capital gain. It wasn't really a capital gain, you guys. It was just pulling forward the present values of those coupons, and then you cut your coupon by 400 basis points. Don't confuse bond math. Very simple. You are going to get 1% return over the next 10 years, barring a default. And I'm not saying it's going to default, but credit spreads or CDS could easily widen by 50 basis points to 100 basis points doesn't mean it's a default it just means that's the risk and that 100 basis points increase in pure credit would knock 20 percent off of your long bond 30 year pure mathematics duration and convex and convexity in bonds is like velocity and acceleration in the distance formula where is the demand for these Treasury is coming from if the Fed's insurance companies to... that need to match long-term liabilities with uh, so I, I did mention to you on our conversation yesterday in 1997 
JCPenney issued a 100-year corporate bond. How did that work out? I don't know who bought it for 100 years. I was in the markets at that point. I was amazed that a retailer could issue a 100-year obligation, and there were buyers for it. And it made it almost, almost 23 years before it defaulted. But this year, JCPenney defaulted, and that long bond, I don't know where it trades, but I'll tell you, it does not trade for par. <laughs> and did they make up that money in the coupons over the time that they, uh, that they owned it? It's debatable. Look, uh, fixed income is only mathematics as well. But if you have an expected 1% return over a 10-year period and the Fed's trying to overshoot at 2% inflation target, which you're already arguably overshooting if you, if you take into consider your own inflation factors, like how, like how could you even, like as a fund manager... Can you imagine if you've been doing it for 20 years and it's been such a gravy train and now you're supposed to give it up? Yeah. Like, it's tough. You, there are businesses that are built on this, you know? And that being said, look, it is a... It is a lower risk um, uh, vol, vol, vol basket. Uh, you need that. There are entire businesses like uh, Ray Dalio's business that were built on uh, on risk parity and the volatility in bonds versus the volatility in equities, et cetera, et cetera. But the general level of interest rates has decreased to the point where a lot of these models the, the opportunity is just not there. It's pure mathematics. 1% over the next 10 years is mathematically guaranteed barring a default. Again, the CDS market is the new sheriff in town. We mentioned CalPERS earlier, Illinois State Pension, Jersey State Pension. Oh, yeah. They're all... Like, when do you... Like, that's... What will be interesting is we see the, any of these state pensions allocate a small percentage to Bitcoin, which they obviously should, but... It, it, it's a process, and as soon as one does it, it opens up a door. It was like the high-yield market. You know, Michael Milken worked hard to get certain uh, buyers of, uh, of high-yield credit, and it started, and then it expanded as the different uh, asset managers embraced his, uh, his risk uh, uh, proposals. Yeah. I was... A fascinating part of the whole 2008 crisis is people went to go ask for these CDS products specifically calling for this, correct? They didn't exist yet. The people had to add a mate. You know, you know who, so Wall Street's in a, an incredible uh, ability to match buyers and sellers of risk. And this was a product that was developed by some very smart people at JP Morgan. Uh, it was a, I happened to know the, 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 one of the, young ladies that was in, in charge of it. Um, these are, you know, it's, it's mathematics. It's, it's a, ma a buyer and seller of risk. There is always a price for everything on Wall Street. That's a beautiful thing. And if someone is paying a certain price, they can generally find a counterparty to that that will take the other side. And it's nothing but a negotiated market based on a benchmark and primarily used for hedging risk. But there are times where there's speculators that'll just take a naked side and just say, hey, yeah, for that premium, for that $9,000 a year premium on that I have to pay on Lehman Brothers, I'll take that bet that they're going to either get in financial distress. It doesn't mean they have to default. It just means that premium can go from $9,000 a year to $300,000 a year. And you cash out that insurance pr uh, pr uh, product and you've made a pretty nice little, uh, little risk adjusted trade. Yeah, it's one of my favorite parts of the big short is when um, 
Christian Bale who's playing Michael Berry uh, is just having to go to the whiteboard and keep uh, refreshing the losses and do you want to know stops for swatting people. You know who some of the buyers were, Marty? That's an interesting thing. Some of the buyers of that protection, sorry, excuse me, some of the sellers of that protection were Canadian institutions that had no idea what they were selling, but Wall Street was saying, hey, look, it's rated this. Sell it for this return. And Michael's like, mathematically, this is ridiculous. But they were a lot bigger player on a on a asset basis than, um, than uh, Michael was. Really, it's uh, it's crazy though. Because you but have to it's find... how it works. Look, Wall Street's right. a wizard again of ma- matching <laughs> a buyer and seller of risk at a given price. Well, that's why I'm interested to see how these hash rate and how like the Bitcoin derivatives markets move playing forward. The hash rate derivatives specifically, because I think there's an edge that the Bitcoin mining industry, particularly the mining pools, have over traditional desk and in, in the uh, wall street desk for creating these type of markets that like you're going to have like, an upstart create these markets what you'll always need is capital though and you'll yeah. need like you'll always need the um and then there'll be counterparty risk too i i'm i'm, I'm not going to pretend i'm any sort of expert what one of the neat things is what the cbot where where you used to work and uh, the, the beautiful thing about the pits in chicago the, the, the options guys assume the risk. They remove counterparty risk. They, uh, and, and this is key, right? It's great. Hey, I have this insurance product and it's sold by Greg Foss and company in Canada. Like my, my credit quality is not anything to scream about. But if someone bought an insurance product from me or bought protection from me, they need to understand that my counterparty risk is perhaps even a bigger risk than uh, the insurance they're trying to uh, protect themselves against. So, so that's why you'll always need capital. Bitcoin is the purest form of counterparty. Uh, you don't have to worry about counterparty risk, but the derivatives on it, uh, I think that would be a, a very large uh, concern. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I'm thinking like forwards contracts where you... All true. Still, it, all mathematics. It's all good. Yeah. No. I, hey, I'm loving this conversation. Thank you for speaking with me yesterday been, and today. It's been a real pleasure. You, you, you were my first. Uh, I, I sound like a high school uh, senior. Yeah, uh, yeah. You were my first date, Marty. Uh, no, <laughs> um, you were the first podcast that I saw. Uh, you and Breedlove again. Um, uh, I, I'm really, really uh, excited about the stuff you guys are doing. And, and also, uh, I'd love to help the community however I can. So this is a big subject. I've, I've actually written two papers on it uh, for a Canadian uh, podcast that, uh, called Rockstar that uh, Breedlove was on last night. But I, I go into depth on this whole subject of counterparty or credit default swap and, and credit risk and, and just what the markets are all about for anyone that cares uh, only because I think there's so many people out there that don't truly understand how credit markets function, firstly, and yet how important they are for the global economy and the functioning of supply and demand for risk of a government that has no equity. Again, in the equity markets, it's neat. You have different uh, different parts of the capital structure. You can buy the bonds and short the common stock and, and be implicitly hedged. Uh, the it's not like you can short the equity of the United States as a hedge to their bond obligation. But what can you own? You can own Bitcoin. 
Yeah. This is one of the more fascinating valuation conversations I've had in the realm of Bitcoin because, again, it makes a lot of sense. I can't believe this wasn't popularized earlier. It's it's neat because the guys that um, – well, first of all, my, my experience is somewhat unique. Um, the young kids that uh, that are in trading credit default swaps and all that right now, uh, you know, they may not have lived through 2008. They certainly didn't live through 1988 and the Latin American debt crisis. Uh, anyone who's my age is, uh, you know, has been sent out to pasture uh, a, lot, a, a, a long time ago. Uh, again, I found Bitcoin. It was a personal journey to, to find it. And when I found it, then I said, hey, I need to try and uh, uh, bring it back to terms that I'm comfortable with. And credit, again, uh, it runs the world, you guys. I'm afraid that credit runs the world. It's not equity markets that run the world. It's credit that runs the world, the financial world. And every single fixed income manager in the world better learn what Bitcoin offers them as portfolio insurance. Pay attention to credit. Pay attention to credit freaks. Has been all my. I, well, I've been paying attention to the CLO markets, um, and it's yeah, it's uh, it's it's scary when you think about it. But again, we well, have Bitcoin. as long as you under, it, it, nothing should scare anybody as long as they're informed. That's the key. Play risk-adjusted returns. Play expected value. Am I a hundred percent certain any of this is going to unfold? No. But I will set my bets and set my hedges accordingly. And the upside to Bitcoin, once again, the best asymmetric return trade I've seen in 32 years. I'm not trying to steal anyone's thunder like Raul Paul or anything like that because I've been in the same markets that he's been in. And I will tell you, this is exciting when you see this type of return potential. Don't overthink it. Don't argue over whether Bitcoin's worth 33000 US or 43000 Ultimately, those are still rounding errors as well. I agree. And that's, I guess the question I wanted to end it on is like, so how many of your acquaintances from, from credit markets or past professional life start, starting to wake up to this? Obviously, we've seen institutional flows, but um, do, you, are you, do you have buddies that, that are starting sure to Sure do. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you just, and, and I'm sure you feel this uh, uh, the same way is that, you know, people reach out to you in the strangest times and, hey, I've been following you on LinkedIn. I just haven't been telling you that I've been following you, but I've been following your stuff or, uh, you know, again, I'm sort of new to Twitter, but you perhaps are way more experienced, certainly way more experienced. But, hey, Marty, I've been following your stuff, but I never comment on it. But now I'm reaching in, reaching to you privately because I've had all these questions. It's the same in the fixed income markets or the asset management markets. One of the neatest buyers of the three IQ product that I'm aware of in Canada is actually technology funds. Okay. It's not a fixed income fund. It's an equity based technology fund that embraces Bitcoin for the financial technology. And that's a neat thing. You get these guys that are used to looking at uh, startup companies or computer companies or whatever, and they immediately gravitate to the beauty of, of Bitcoin and the Bitcoin network. Yeah, there's probably some people listening to this podcast right now streaming me sats when you think about a new financial system infrastructure, like literally using Bitcoin and Lightning. It is completely separate from everything. People are listening to us a minute by minute sending me 10 sats, 20 sats, 30 sats, whatever they have. <laughs> Jack Mallers, keep up the work. I tried to dress like him today, everyone out there. No one can see me on uh, 
on the podcast. I don't believe a eh, Marty, but uh, I'm wearing a, a hoodie and it says uh, on it. It says I'm showing Marty right now. It says uh, Arx Novum. Arx Novum is potentially the first true exchange traded Bitcoin fund to be launched in North America again by a can listed on a Canadian exchange. The gentleman that's doing this, Sean Cumbie, was the former CIO of 3IQ that won the regulatory battle against the Ontario Securities Commission to be able to list the closed-end Bitcoin fund. And the closed-end Bitcoin fund is a great product, but a true ETF would blow the doors off of Grayscale's product and QBTC's product. So... My, I'm championing Sean Cumbie to be the first uh, successful exchange-traded fund in North America. Let's go. I love that name too, Arx Noam. You know what it stands for? New. He set it up specifically. Novum means new, correct? And Arx means citadel. New, new citadel. citadel. I love it. And here's the, here's, here's the, if you can see this, I'm showing Marty, this, the, 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 the little, uh, uh, Whatever you call it, the tower is a, is a, is a citadel is a citadel tower, correct? Yeah, no, it's um, I'm I'm a big fan of naming companies and products after Latin words. It's uh, well, he found this one, and I can barely pronounce it. So, Arx Novum, vote for him. Uh, I hope he succeeds in his uh, desire to be uh, Canada's first Bitcoin exchange traded fund, not a closed end fund. Again, an exchange traded fund, and that would open the door for the SEC and everyone in the US to do the same. Let's go. Let's go, Sean. Let's go, Canada. I love Canadian Bitcoiners. I love well, this conversation. We're, small, we're a small group, but we're trying to make a bigger, uh, uh, we're trying to have a bigger, we're, we're trying to punch above our weight. How about that? Yeah, yeah per capita Canadians uh, uh, are are well represented in the, in the Bitcoin world, very well in terms of impact on product, mindshare, um, actual actually doing work, building products, building exchanges, getting in the oil fields, plugging Correct. stuff in. Correct. So yeah, it's been a pleasure, Marty. Um, you know, I, 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 anyone who has any questions for me and who wants to knock me down because I'm continuously learning, right? Uh, I don't have all the answers and uh, I'll tell you what, um, I'll just say that my kids need this. Mine as well. And I can't wait to do this again. And I can't wait to surf that beautiful left uh, in Maine one day. I'm going to have to make a trip up. Ogunquit Rivermouth. It's uh, a classic. Uh, it is a classic break in the, in the frigid waters of the Gulf of Maine. Yeah. I'm used to pretty cold waters down here. In no, Germany, I guess so. it would be the same. Uh, watch Ben Gravy. Uh, watch Ben Gravy uh, YouTube videos in uh, Love New Jersey Breaks. <sighs> Greg, where can we find out more about you? What you're working on? <laughs> Uh, honestly, uh, a sort of good place is Twitter, uh, and at Foss, Greg Foss is my Twitter handle, uh, validuspower.com expect some big things from us. I'm excited about that. Marty, anything we can do together in the energy patch would be awesome. Um, and what, what can I say, uh, anyone out there is, uh, I was Canada's first high yield bond trader. Uh, I was a outpost in Canada trading against the big boys in the United States and in New York. And I survived for 32 years because I didn't stick to one trading or one mindset. You roll with the punches, 
You look at the new instruments that are available to manage risk, and that's what Bitcoin is. Do not categorically dismiss it before you've done your research. It is the most beautiful financial innovation I've seen in 32 years. We're going to end it there, freaks. Thank you, Greg. Thank you I so hope much. You enjoy your weekend. And you too, Marty. Great talking to you. Thank you. It's always always a pleasure, freaks. Peace and love. You have one sec? <laughs>